Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Nightlife Project podcast. I'm your host, Camino. I'm here with my co-host, Kai William, and our very special guest of the day, Huxley. Hello. Uh, whose real name is Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yes, call me uh, So, um, but I, I've, been listening, I've been listening to your music, mate, for like six or seven years. So I started clubbing in London in like when I was 18, which oh, was cool. seven years ago. So your music was like, you know, the, tra- the track Callin' that you did oh, yeah. was getting played on loop like <laughs> three times a night in Lightbox, Ministry of Sound, XOY, Fabric, so on and so forth. So that was like, that's, you know, you're part of the, the wave that got me into this music um, and definitely get a lot of inspiration from that. Um, and so, yeah, do you want to do you want to tell? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this are going to know who you are, but do you want to give a little intro of yourself? Uh... Yeah. yeah, why not? Uh, okay, I guess. So I've been releasing music since I was like 17, but um, that was, we used to release a lot of UK Garage. Um, and then around 2006, 2007, I started making music with a friend of mine called Tim, whose production name was Ethel. And we just started jamming together. And then we were lucky enough to get signed to Nick Curley's original label, Cecile, um, obviously under Ethel and Huxley. And then we did a couple more collaborate collaborative things and then um we just decided to go separate paths so since then i've kind of just done stuff on my own done stuff with Aus, um done stuff on hypercolor 2020 vision defected tool room um done remixes for crosstown rebels uh universal island basically kind of been quite lucky and just kind of done bits and bobs for like lots of different things and yeah now i'm here and uh that's that's basically me, really, in a, in a in a very short, compacted, like yeah. Segment. It's hard. Your career is so successful, and it's so hard to put that in such like a short little snippet there. And um, it's not always been successful, to be fair, but it's just been quite varied, is what I would say. I would say it's been yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've covered the whole spectrum for sure, and um, I'm definitely happy to have you on the podcast. I know we fortunately got to bring you out last year for my my label and era records launch party which was a really fun time um that was super super fun it was funny because uh when me and ramsey first started the label like we're like oh we got to do something like cool like to celebrate and then we're like we didn't have any music out yet we had never thrown any events it's like a brand new concept and we're like let's just throw a party and then uh brad who i work with as my talent buyer He's like, yeah, you guys want to book Huxley? And like, we're like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Because I had always, I had always liked your music, you know, and I thought it was cool. And um, that's really the first party. That's the first party I, I really ever threw myself in. Oh, cool. Wow. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And to be able to work with like someone like you and actually get to like share the decks with you at the end of the night, that was, that was really sick. Yeah, that was um, fun, man. I had a super, yeah, it was pretty packed too. I think we had about like 250, 300 people in there and the club holds like 500. So for a first go, that's. I was definitely happy with that. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a shame you haven't been able to kind of capitalize on that like, because of last year, right? Yeah, I know. That was our first one and the last one we had. But I, I've been throwing events um, in, in Jersey every week with uh, a couple buddies of mine and a couple partners in there. Um, luckily, we've been able to... With Neil, do not sleep and stuff. Yeah, right? we're working with Neil and those guys. Yeah, so we just uh, had some pretty sweet booking. So looking forward to seeing where that goes. Yeah, man. I've been saying, I mean, the, the venue looks amazing. I guess it's all socially distanced. Is it in Jersey or? 
Yeah, so the way it's set up, there's a big pool in the middle, which is nice because it kind of separates everyone apart. And then there's the couches, and then there's the tables, and then there's there's sound all in that place. There's like it it sounds great no matter where you are, and they've really set it up that way because of everything that's going on right now. So no matter where you are in there, it it sounds good. Granted, you have to stay around your table, but uh, I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. So, mate, are you based? So you said you're based near Brighton, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm originally from um, a very small little village called Tring, which is like in Har- just outside of London. And then I've just kind of moved around a lot and ended up near Brighton currently. Um, it's a nice place of life down here, man, for sure. Because mm. um, it's good to be by the seaside and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah that's a vibe. Yeah, and it's kind of nice. Like wherever I've lived before, I've not really kind of had been apart from in london obviously when i lived there for a bit i've not really had like a crew of music people but down here i've got a few people like i've got surge from ways and odyssey and um mm-hmm. and a few other people as well who are kind of out and about steve mack who obviously was with the masters back in the day mm-hmm. and all those kind of people so like it, it's kind of, it's kind of nice coming down here um and getting around surrounding myself with music people a lot which is actually something that I actively try to do like not do really um because I used to live in London it just got a bit too much so I moved out basically and but it's nice to actually be back in the thick of things and it's definitely helped with like um you know pushing myself harder to release better music and do what I want again because when you're on your own you can get a bit complacent and lazy but when you have people surrounding you which is why I guess you're moving to be near Kai, you're having those people around you kind of helps with the creative flow and process for sure. Definitely. Like, so that, that for me is like, it's such a big bonus having people around me pushing me and Kai, I, I know you're the same as well. Yeah. So like when, when you got started, did you have that or were you kind of all on your own? Um, well, cause we grew up in a very small little place. I had, I did have a couple of friends. Like I said, I had my friend, Tim, um, he actually just lived around the corner from me where I, when I was growing up. He was like a year younger than me in school or something, but I was mates with his sister. So I had him. And then another one of my best friends is actually the drummer for the Marabou State. Um, and, oh. and then um, I've got a couple of other mates who used to be part of things. My One of my best mates, Ollie, he was in a thing called Keta Loco, which was quite big over here for a while. It was like a, it was like a Leeds party and he was one of the residents for that. Um so yeah, we kind of had our small little group of people, um, but it obviously wasn't like as big. We used to throw our own little parties there as well, which was good. But that was like mainly UK garage, to be honest. It was like when I was like 16, 15 or 16, and my friend's dad owned the football club so we could go there and just all get pissed everyone just went to get pissed but i didn't care because i sold like like it was three or four pounds to get in so we were making money and we could play whatever music we wanted because everyone was just there because they could buy boys basically i I wish we could charge three or four pounds now that would be (laughs) that would be great it's like yeah it's not possible anymore to do especially in america we talked about this with the will and just like the 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 exponential prices of of getting in the clubs here versus over, over there um I wish we could charge that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? As, as everyone's fees going up, and then the price of just doing business is so so high, right? That you have to set these costs. I mean, it seems like, to be fair though, compared to people over here, I think the Amer- American public seem more willing to pay those prices than yeah. in the UK. The UK, because I think we were spoilt for so long with dance music and i know obviously it's big in the states again it has been for a while but like we were spoiled all that time when you were like 
a lot of the guys over there were listening to just you know whatever we we still had it going so i guess we're used to paying the cheap prices which is why we're like people of my generation would be not as willing but i think the younger people now i mean the yeah. f- festival tickets now are just so fucking expensive i can't believe yeah. people can afford pass. it a weekend pass over here in the states is like up to five hundred dollars sometimes for just general for like three nights or three days rather yeah. um with the, all the camping and all that so yeah it's an investment but people still definitely pay it and uh it's like a great experience as always but the festival prices are are crazy man i can't even believe some of them i mean people go to i mean i guess these days a lot of people use festivals as a holiday right so then yeah. you- what are the what are the big festivals in, in the UK? I'm not too familiar with those with those festivals. I'm I'm focused more on like club nights and stuff like that. But like, what are the big festivals in the UK? What for dance music or just generally? Just the, for dance music. Um. Well, I mean, Glastonbury. You've got to mention Glastonbury because that's just yeah. big for everything. That's like one of the best festivals in the world, I would say. And then for dance music, you got things like Park Life, Cream, yeah. Creamfields, SW4, SW4. Yeah. Um, it's funny there's not that many like big ones there's some really good like more underground ones like secret garden party um was a crazy one back in the day yeah that was great um, yeah amazing place but that that shut down and that are they, they i guess they were going to do another one a different well they're actually funny enough like um they, they are yeah they are i went to the one last year it's run by some friends and um it, it, it's not the same people that did it but they're doing it on the same site and it's called we out here and it's like um it's kind of more like uh who who did they have dance music? it was a quite a mixture but they had like theo parish and um cool. some other someone else who i can't remember but then they had loads of drum and bass and loads of like soul and hip-hop it was kind of more of a more of a, an eclectic kind of thing than a dark than secret garden was cool. yeah i'd say most of the 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 nightlife scene in england is more in the clubs than in festivals like we have some crazy clubs that's um, true. I think we've got great. I don't, I don't know, though. I think the, the festival scene everywhere is kind of starting to take over, to be honest, even in the UK. I, you yeah, see, like, I mean, Printworks print is a festival, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Just... Have you played the Printworks? Well, I've had a gig. I've not played there yet. And I've had my I was meant to play there in March last year with Cash, um, with Green Velvet. And now it's been moved like four times. So it's been moved throughout the year. And now it's in October. So that'll be like, That'll probably be my first London gig back, like big one anyway, if it happens, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I was meant to do just some socially distant things, but every time I got one booked, it, it then another lockdown happened, basically. I think I'm a bad a bad omen <laughs> or something. Wow. But, yeah, so I think I have not, I've not played it yet. I, and also I kind of had this rule now, because I'm older and like stuff that – normally I won't go to a venue until I'm booked to play it because I kind of want to experience it for the first time when I'm DJing it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, just cool. to kind of take it all in. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah, awesome. Um, What's your favourite venue then in, in London or in England in general? I don't know, yeah. man. I mean, it depends what you're, 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 what you're thinking about, really. I mean, there's just some some of my favourites. Like, I can remember... Every time he's, and I probably because I got po- tagged in some post, but there was a there was a club in Manchester called Sankey's, which was yeah, just a fucking. It's gone now, unfortunately, but mm. that the crowd there was always great. I mean, I started when I first started touring. I did the second room, which I can't remember the name of Spectrum, maybe, and then anyway, and then 
even that's fucking good. And then you move down to the downstairs, like basement thing. And it's like, that's a belter. And there's just loads of different ones. Audio in Brighton was great. It's called Patterns now. Um, I've only played it once. And, but I have to say the audio days for me were the, like the peak. But I think a lot, like if you're going to talk about clubs, you've obviously got to mention Fabric and Warehouse Project. But then kind of in Leeds, there's like, you know, Mint Club and stuff, which I think has gone as well now, which is just such mm-hmm. a shame. Like, I feel like a lot of our best clubs kind of are dying a bit of a death. I mean, when I was younger, I used to go to a club, a couple of clubs, one was called Turn Mills in London, and which, really was, that today. which was amazing. One of my favorite venues that unfortunately closed before I got a chance to play. 2008. Right? Yeah, a long time yeah. ago. And then The End as well, which was obviously yeah. um, an amazing venue. So I think we're, we're suffering now because of each club, like, places like Printworks, I think as good as they are, they are hurting smaller venues as well sometimes mm-hmm. because they just don't have the pulling power for the big guests or even the public, right? The public now have such high expectations of, of, of what they think an event should be that, like, you know, not everyone's happy just in a sweaty basement anymore, which I think is a real mm-hmm. shame. Yeah. So so what about in New York, Kai? Because in New York, you do see these clubs like the Mirage have these absolutely ludicrous lineups. Like comparable, they're comparable to like yeah. Printworks, like honestly. Fe- it's like festival every weekend there. So it, I was talking, I forgot I was talking about this the other day. It's almost like, uh, it's, it's almost like a monopoly for them, honestly. It's like, it's so hard for a, a new promoter to break through in, in the New York City market just because how, how are you, how are you going to compete against a lineup? something like like amelie lens or like something like carl cox and and digweed like who's what are you going to go see is some random new showcase you're going to go see the the average person is going to go see carl and, and and digweed you know or or sasha and digweed over some random so yeah it's it's really hard uh for new promoters to break through you know it can take years and years I, we're me and and austin uh, and our team over here are super fortunate to have to have been able to break to break through but that's like a, a one in a million chance you know um uh other than mirage i mean you have like knockdown center which is my personally my favorite it's just yeah really that's a great thing yeah have you been there yeah i played with fisher there a few years ago yeah oh yeah that's right yeah that venue is sick and they have the runes outside which is is amazing as well did actually i didn't do the indoor bit i did the yeah the outdoor the rune yeah yeah uh hudson city 2 did it all all night long there it was from like i guess i wouldn't even call it, it was all day long it was like one in the afternoon to like 10 at night it was it was awesome um yeah does that answer your question Scania? yeah it does it's quite interesting um because i like i, I want to throw some parties in new york but i think I, i'm not i'm not like if i do it you know i'm just going to be like this is like a very cheap free party you know we're just 20 of us 30 of us dancing on a rooftop or something yeah i mean this this summer and through like the pandemic there's been like those random like little pop-up parties that aren't really I guess kosher right now, but um, <laughs> there's there's like more. There's so many of them every weekend now. Have you been like, naughty, Kai? Have you been? I've been trying to keep my nose clean. <laughs> I've been trying to keep my nose clean. But um, but yeah, like people were throwing parties in like the woods and stuff this summer, like mm. in like Queens and stuff. And I mean, I definitely went to a couple of them. It was it was super fun. But in Berlin, it was it was fucking crazy in summer. Yeah. It was like eight eight nine parties every day in forests and shit. And I threw I yeah. threw a, I helped throw a party. Uh, in a castle in a medieval castle in poland and we just got people on buses from berlin to there i always was forget you did that that's like crazy did they ever make an after movie for that is there any like pictures it's, it's, or anything we, yeah i just it's just 
this is a long story but yes they exist so you're not getting the you're not getting the pictures of video <laughs> right now no but we will get them the problem is so we did this like to promote a festival that's supposed to come out that was supposed to happen in 2021 but like it's such a shit show in poland with covid regulations that we just decided to postpone it to 2022 and since that's happening i'm not going to be involved anymore and so there's this whole thing and i just like yeah i, I love those guys but it's just I, I i can't work with them from new york you know it's impossible so yeah, yeah. New York's super hard. I always wondered like what it would be like if I was to like pick up and move to somewhere like, I don't know, Kansas or somewhere like that where there's absolutely no scene and, and try and build up a scene. Like I always wondered how, yeah, that difficult, would be really cool. yeah. how difficult it would actually be moving into a city with no scene and being like the Do only you know who person did that? doing it. Do you know who did that? Lee Burridge in the 90s traveled around the world and mm -hmm. started clubs and no, not clubs he started event series in like places like hong kong which had no scene right and he did this all around the world and he started like a few successful like shows that kind of kick-started like a dance movement in one of those cities which is epic like that's such a cool thing to do yeah yeah i mean i think that's something that we it's like Kai has like said like Kansas, it's not quite as like exotic as Hong Kong though, is it? Like going and starting no. a bank series. It's pretty. It's pretty. Like in Kansas, they don't know what house music is. But then yeah. you say that. But then I I thought that there was a uh, like when when I ever go, that you always get those people who like drive for like three or four or five hours to a show from those places. So there, I think there probably is an appetite. It's just. It's probably just like that long thing of like having just building it up every event. having parties is like every two weeks and having like ten people there for the exactly, first year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also like I guess from like uh, uh, an agent standpoint, like if someone wants to book you in like I don't know Kansas or like somewhere random like that. Like what 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 is really in like making you want to go or wanting your agent to have you book? I've done a couple. I did like Milwaukee and I did um somewhere else as well quite random the other day where's it a good party in milwaukee no it's shite to be honest <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah but, but i'm a bit more inquisitive so like i like some this random booking comes in and my agent julian goes do you want to do this and i'm like yeah fuck why not like it, it normally i'll only do it if it's like an off day on like a so it obviously doesn't interfere with like a bigger show but yeah i i'm just interested to see these places that i've heard the name of and like never been to so although i feel like you know, I obviously want the party to be good, but it's kind of a bit of both for me. I kind of like, I like the exploration as well as like, you know, just the yeah, big cities it. and stuff. I kind of do it all over. Like I did, I played in Kenya and I was like one of the second people for years to play in Kenya yeah. a few years ago. And How like, was it was good. I mean, I wasn't there for that long. I was there for like 10, 10 or 11 hours. So I flew in like... Played the show basically, had an hour of sleep and then left. It was a bit weird because they had like you had to have security with you the whole time, basically. Right. But the actual show was great. Like it was fucking everyone's so nice, everyone's lovely. Like it was it was a really fun, really fun party. For, like and I would definitely suggest people to go down like to Africa. Like the shows there, from my experience so far, have been great. That's so cool. That's somewhere I would never think like house music would be at all just in africa it's starting to get big i mean riz the guy that runs it is he's kind of he's kind of built the scene yeah in a way like it was a lot of lecture stuff and then now he's slowly guiding people into house and techno and he, he's kind of that figurehead or it seems like it anyway um for the scene over there 
mate so um back to your music mate so i uh so again i, I started listening to you in like 2014 and since then you've had this like uh quite a steady evolution i would say like you've gone you haven't really stuck with one sound for too long or i guess you could still kind of tell it's you most tracks but like you haven't stuck with one vibe consistently i think and you've gone you know from house to techno experimental you know you had some really out there tracks that i love like uh with, with shadow child absolutely banger you know and and I, I can i can you know you really push yourself throughout the years to make some like very unique stuff um so i was just wondering you know when when you sit down to make music do you kind of have a vision in mind or do you like do you just kind of go with the flow and is that's what's catalyzed your like constant evolution yeah normally yeah i mean I mean, it, everything's changed a bit in the last couple of months. In the last like year, I feel like after after like my album that came out in 2015, I kind of made a decision that I wanted to like just sit down and write stuff that I kind of wanted to write in that moment. Like say, and a load of stuff, different stuff came out, and like you know, I I'm like everyone, I listen to everything like a little bit, or at least try to, and take influence from everything. So, for example, if I'm listening to like a techno set or a house set during the, the morning or whatever before I get into the studio, that that will quite often like influence what I sit down and make just because obviously that's what I'm feeling in that moment of time. Much the same with like vocally driven stuff and, and, and dubby stuff. It's kind of that, that helps me a lot. I mean, one thing is like, and I've, I've tried to make tracks that sound like my other tracks sometimes. So like I can have a style, if you know what I mean, but actually I'm finding that like whenever I do that, it feels really contrived and it never really works. And like I, I'm, I'm not someone who can just sit down and make one style and kind of be happy. I get really bored really easily, which I guess is why I flip between. I mean, much to my management's like chagrin, really, because like I got myself because of this though, I got myself into a bit of a position where a lot of like promoters and stuff wouldn't book me because they wouldn't know what stage to put me on because my last release could be this and that and it and it's become over over the last five years i would say that's become a real problem with our scene actually that like everyone before that you could be i could be on a lineup with pretty much anyone and they just like dictate the music through the through the programming right and how the night flowed and like i would play with a lot of different people but now it seems like the scene, each scene is getting really small and like there are people will only book people if they stick to the same sound on a night. Yep. Um, I've seen that all the time everywhere. And it, for me, that makes it boring. But I come but I come from a I come from a time where obviously you can have someone like playing deeper stuff and then that progresses into someone playing a bit more kind of techie stuff and then techno and then maybe even bassy music and that kind of works but it don't do it. anyway so in the last year i've tried to focus oh sorry carl what are you gonna say no i was gonna ask you the question like do you think that is a result of just the oversaturation of producers now where they have the ability to make it so niche like niche per stage or like per event um i th i i think it's i i don't know if that's true um because I think there's always been that amount of producers, especially since Beatport happened, and like, but I, I think I think that like, it's part. It's I think it's happened because, you know, there there's a lot of there's I would say there's quite a lot of snobbery between each scene, uh, uh, unduly really, and that's kind of not helped the situation. And then also I think like the listening public now seem to like one thing and not the other and feel like they can't like one thing and not the other because they'll feel like it's not the right thing to do even if they do like it and i think that hasn't helped i think it's just a plethora of things 
And it's just got to a situation which kind of, you know, you have to have a style now to dictate where you're going to stand in with these other people. Like last year, like I released on Tool Room and I released on two really underground labels, Hot House and, well, I don't know if it's really underground, but Shall Not Fade. And like even that's like probably too confusing for some people to really understand. So this year we've kind of focused in and I've just got like, you know, I'm working now towards a bigger project which is going to be a bit more of a, of a style, just a style that I'm really comfortable making, but a style that can also like, you know, and I hate to do this because it's so business-like, but like a style that can fit in with a stage, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I just so think it's so important. Yeah, I, I, and I hate doing that because I like sitting down. I like like banging like out some chords. Yeah, I like diversity. When I'm at an event and it's like the same thing over and over, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of bored now. So like, for example, on New Year's Day, we had booked Art Bat uh, over here in Jersey. And like, I don't play melodic techno. And it was nice because the guy who started off was playing like, like, like burner organic uh, and like pretty musical stuff. And then like I came in and I, I started picking it up a little bit with some like tech house and like you'd never think tech house we played at an Art Bat party. But the everyone afterwards kept saying like it was such a cool progression of music and that I think it's a I think it's a problem to not have that progression overnight. I think my, it's my so much cooler. My favorite DJs progress throughout their sets. Like Hot yeah. Since '82, like Hot dude, Hot's the best. Like, at fabric. That, yeah. I saw him do a three-hour set. It was like magic. You know, he went from like he went from like kind of dark minimal tech house to like techno melodic techno over like yeah, three he, hours. It was brilliant. Always, it was brilliant. I, his after his circle set, uh, I forgot where that one was, but it was uh, he was explaining how like he always starts off slow and then builds as, as the night goes on and i think that makes the most sense if you're doing sets like that yeah completely i mean i find myself because i have i'm quite uh do like everything i when i play i tend to kind of play all over the place which i think you know like try and do that progression myself as well when i play so well, uh, you know I, that's the way i like you i like the way that these things progress and move on mm -hmm. i don't want to just listen to like it doesn't matter what style, like you say it doesn't matter what style it is I don't want to listen to the same thing over yeah. and over again for hours and hours. So this promoter thing is a problem. It is a problem because they do, they're, they're less willing to book you if they don't know what you're going to play. So is there a solution to that problem or not? I mean, I, I have like six different side projects for this reason. <laughs> it's like, hey, really quick. It's a bit ridiculous. Real, real quickly, do you guys hear that noise? Yeah, sorry, that's someone's drilling into my, on the side of my wall. Sorry. Guys. <laughs> I, wasn't sure I don't. I, th I think you can't blame the promoters really on their own. I think it. I think it's you know. I it's think a team it's, effort. I think it's a bit of everything. Like I. I think the only solution is. I don't know. I. I you know, in five years' time, we'll probably be sat here, and some people will be complaining that there's too much diversity on the lineups. I think that like it just moves like this, right? That and there's always someone's always not going to like what's going on right now, but give it a little bit more time then it will come back and swing back around. I think it's just one of those things that that, that will happen, I think. Um, definitely. So one, one thing we usually do on the, on the podcast, I'm sorry we didn't tell you this before, and you don't have to if you don't want to, we like to preview some music that you're working on. Okay. Um, is there anything you want to preview, and then you can send it to us and we'll clip it in? Um, is there anything? Uh, uh, what can I preview? Or any upcoming releases or anything at all? Well, the problem I've got is like, um, so I just got signed to Ultra. Um, oh. So um, basically, there is nothing set in stone to be coming out yet. But um, mm -hmm. I could, I, yeah, I could send you a couple of bits. I've just done a project under a different name. 
for uh, Sulfuric, which is uh, obviously part of Defected, called You're Ready, which is like a gospel house record. Oh. So we'll play that. Sure. All right, guys. So here's this track that he was just talking about. by Mediman and when is that coming out? Um, I'm not sure actually it's probably coming out in the next couple of months um, on Sulfuric which is um, now part of Defected so that's quite exciting yeah that's one of the, the many arms of Defected now yeah exactly and that's a how you said that's a different alias of yours right it's not under Huxley so what's like the backstory behind that so I started that like uh, five or six years ago as like a vinyl only name and I re- released a couple of like 12 inches um, of that, which kind of sold out, they both did quite well. Um, and I did a release on Ways and Odyssey Street Tracks, and then basically I just kind of, like I was talking about earlier, got bored with it. So I just kind of let it, let it kind of, you know, die or or, or just rest or however you want to say it, and just um, and then yeah, so and then over the last year when I've been like kind of trying to focus a bit more of my production into one one realm, but I still want that kind of out outreach into different genres into different styles and i just thought why not kind of see what happens and my friend the singer on the track actually sent me the idea of him playing a piano and singing over it and then i was like right send me the parts so he sent me the parts and i kind of built that track out of it um basically and it's kind of yeah it just ended up on you know sulfuric and um yeah there's no real other plans with it at the moment it's just as and when like I get the right project or I do the right song and we'll kind of like push it a bit more maybe. But for right now, that's like, you know, we'll see how that does. I mean, if that doesn't really do anything, I mean, which it possibly might not, obviously, um, it will probably be a rested project for another while. Cause I've got Huxley and then my other project Piscean, which I'm doing with a friend of mine called James, which actually is also signed to ultra um, is, uh, is we are kind of busy and, busy with both of those now so it's kind of just like a little one-off so so is your your how how is your general like creative output like how many tracks do you you make every month um i mean i try as much as possible i try and get in the studio at least like every day really Mm. and i'm pretty quick when it comes to making music so normally what i'll do is I'll, I'll make a little sketch, which is normally kind of a fully arranged record track, or it could be within about three or four hours or five hours, whatever, however long I've got. And I try and do that every day. <clears throat> and then li- what I'll do is in the morning, I'll listen to it back. And then if it's any good, I'll carry on and kind of work on that. But then if it's not, because I, I, I don't know about you, it's probably the same. They're a producer. I, I suffer quite highly with that initial high, thinking everything's fucking brilliant about this new record that I've made. And then awesome. like the next morning, I, I've already sent it to 10 people. And like I think, oh, my God, this is dog shit. <laughs> so like um, I'm trying to get better at that now. So now I'm kind of like I, I kind of and then if I like 
after that, if once I've worked on it a little bit more, I'll, I'll normally wait like a week or something and go back mm. to it again. And then if I actually still like it, then then I'll kind of, you know, send it out to people who are working it more and finish it or whatever. That's a good tactic. Uh, I, until very recently, Ascanio will tell you, I used to pump out like two tracks a day and like, I would think they're just like, they're sick. And I'll send it to him and he'd have a page of notes on why it's, it's, it's uh but yeah no recently i've definitely uh i've definitely taken it back try to focus on like one track a week um but i, I like what you said about you start an idea and then you come back to it in a week I, I like that i might i might give that a shot yeah i mean and also that means you can yeah, keep moving around and you can keep like if you obviously you're as productive as i am you like to start fresh ideas um if you're doing two in a day like then you can still start those two ideas in a day but like you just finish the one that's decent or like if neither of them are or if both of them are that's kind of thing like something that's changed my focus recently is i've started to do a lot of sessions um on zoom and stuff with with songwriters and vocalists and and things like that and that's really helped my creative process because it's it's so like it's instant input from people like normally i collaborate with another producer or another house producer but we're not now collaborating with like you know maybe producers in a different realm or singers and top liners, they'll, they'll want the track to work in a different way to kind of fit with their own leanings as well. So that's helped me creatively because it's kind of opened up some new ideas and some fresh kind of like impetus to try some new things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I guess we all kind of fall into these these habits as producers and especially making house music. You know, we all kind of everyone makes it differently but when you start working with the outside people like you said that definitely opens up a whole new um endless possibilities i guess like i love but I've, I've always singers, singers. I, i've always struggled working with with a vocal Scania. I don't, I don't i don't know i just like well i guess because my music doesn't really have any singing in it so i'm like i'm always trying to like chop them up and do weird shit with it and then, then the vocalist is like but that's not that's not my voice <laughs> to shine and i get it and like i always chop it up and do weird shit with it and they don't like it so you gotta want a better vocalist man you gotta want I mean, house oriented ones yeah that i mean yeah. that, that someone said to me that um the the like the vocalists the vocalists are the worst instrument to work with because they're also fucking like anal about how they want the voice <laughs> to sound basically mm-hmm. and it's so true like like you say you like edit something or cut something down like i got put off the other day working with someone had a quite a good chat with her and, and the idea she sent is great but like what she said, we had it when we had this chat. She was like, "Yeah, I don't really like anything getting cut down to just a hook. I like the whole song." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, cool." And now she sent the whole song, and there's one bit that's a fucking amazing hook, and I already know she's gonna have a problem with me like cutting it down. Oh, so I'm, I, I'm probably still, I'm gonna try and use it, but like, because she's great, but I, I think that you know it's, it might become an issue, to, mm. more more of an issue that I can be bothered to deal with anyway, you know. Yeah, no, I feel you there, mate. So how how um how often do you work with you know sampling existing tracks, especially like hip hop vocals and that kind of stuff? Uh, I try and stay clear of hip hop vocals these days because I've it, I kind of I've just done it before and I feel like uh, lots, lots of people have done it. May I've got a question for you. I've got I've, I've got a very so in 2014 I was I was hearing this track in clubs and stuff and I, I didn't know who made it and it took me years to find it i don't actually know if it was you who made it it's called on her mind i made that yeah you made that oh yeah. <laughs> that, that was a i don't know if we're allowed to play it are we allowed to play it yeah all right it. It, we're gonna play it. this is this is no yeah please mate if you can send me the the wav i would be 
fucking ecstatic. This this is one of my favorite tracks of the G House generation. This is Huxley on her mind. If you cool and she's satisfied, how come that bitch just page me? You don't know. That's sick. Ascanio was so happy. happy. He was talking about this. He's like, he's like, before the episode, he's like, I know he made it. I know he made it. (laughs) We tried to get that cleared because it's a Nate Dog vocal. um, And we couldn't. So actually, when I released my album, it came out with another vocal on it by someone who's very talented called Yasmin, but it just didn't really, it wasn't quite as well received as the one with um, with Nate Dog. And so I've got I've got a bit of a I've got a bit of a confession to make. Um, so I, when I, when I heard that, I was like, I need to, I need to, re- I need to reuse this. And so what I did is I'm, I probably made like 10 tracks between 2015 and now that sample that vocal. <laughs> and the only way, the only way I can make it work is if I cut it up in the same way, cause I couldn't hear it in any other way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and eventually, eventually I made a good one and it, it got signed to material series. So. So this, this for me, mate, is kind of a tribute uh, to your track. I have to hear that. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, so I, I can send it to you in, in chat, mate. Uh, it's the first track of this EP. Okay. I have as you can see the Zoom chat. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I, I might be able to do that on her mind, actually, yeah, as well. I think I've got it uploaded. Because, like, I mean, so the only people that really originally had that was me and Gorgon City. Gorgon City, yeah, they're yeah. a bit of a creepy. Um, so, and, and and I know for, like, Kai and Matt are obviously good friends of mine, um, and they still play it now. They still talk about that record and play it now. We, and it's funny, right, the first place I ever actually played that was Awakenings. Like, that for one year, they, like, did this whole UK house stage. And it was, like, wow. me, Scream, Ben Westbeach, or Breach, however you want to call it, and then a few other people who, are, who I actually forget. And, like, I, I made it jumped like the day before and that was like the first time I ever played it and it went off to be fair and so I gave it to like I think I didn't I didn't give it to them and then I played with Gorgon City like the day after or the week after or whatever and they were like they made me send it to them so um yeah yeah but then obviously when we did the album we couldn't put it out which was a shame as it was because I think that would have done really well but you know these things I'm just listening now. This track is sick. It's so good, mate. So, so, so that's crazy. That my god, mate. I've been looking for the wow for so long. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> only a couple of people have that, so they. Uh... I'm not going to give it to anyone. Don't oh, it's fine. <laughs> it I mean, obviously, I don't want you to, but it doesn't matter. To be honest, like, you know, that was a lot. No, I know, I know the feeling, mate. That's crazy. So, so Nate Dog is notoriously hard to license. Um, there's so many unclear samples just in, in house music and techno in, in general. I actually remember what, like, one of the first things when I picked up from the airport last year, Michael, one of the first things we talked about was I showed you this track and I was I, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's going to be on your label. I was like, well, like, I don't know because the sample, we haven't cleared it. And, you're just, and you just go, yeah, fuck it. Just put it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. I still stand by that now, obviously. Yeah. Like, 
I can't well, because do at the end of the day, I feel I feel like the the normal artist is not going to get that pissed because it's not like they're going to make boatloads of money on, on our type of music anyway for the most part so for them just to get that little bit of extra extra exposure I, I, most of them don't mind I, and i, I feel think. like the worst case scenario is like what happened to hanging tree michael bb right that well which track, blew him up anyway it blew him up anyway so he doesn't care like you he doesn't take down you can't take the you can take down the track but you can't take away like his fame hype. now no yeah. no you can't yeah, as well patrick topping I think that, that's the thing. Like, if the track goes that big, either there's two, one or two things. Like you say, it doesn't matter anymore um, because the track's so big, even if it gets taken down, you've already kind of got what you wanted out of it and you can still play it and see people can still enjoy it. But the other thing is, if it gets that big, most people will then be like, right, okay, well, you can now license it and we can make this like a bigger record, if you know what I mean. So I, yeah. I definitely think like it's it's easier to say sorry than to ask for permission. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So much easier. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sick, man. And so much, so much of, of our music is based off taking samples and, and loops anyway. So it's not like anyone's really frowning upon it. So yeah, yeah. exactly, man. I mean, like house, house, house music started off with loads of samples. Well, no, it didn't. Hip hop started with loads of samples, and house comes from the same roots as hip hop, really. 808s, drum machines, rent, like being being kind of like a DIY approach. Um, and like you know, fuck it. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's just the whole thing is about not giving a fuck. I think. And if you're if you're a house music producer, you've got to have a, a bit of that. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think, like you say, it's it's in the culture, it's in the roots. And I think that I think that's what makes house music house music. Do you know what I mean? I think that yeah. like you know that is it comes from a lot of producers who don't have access to these big studios which is the whole point of it it's a grassroots movement right so yeah, yeah, of yeah. course sampling's like pre pre prevalent in the music yeah for sure i agree um actually michael i was curious to hear a little bit about your record label i know i talked to you about this a little bit a couple of months ago um sort of what, like what your vision is why you're starting it and what are your plans with it well, the label, um, it, it's on hold for a couple of months because obviously I'm getting a few other things like sorted. Um, the vision is kind of like, I, I you know, it, I've, I've owned now two more record labels. Um, and what happened with both of those was mm -hmm. I started the first one, Saints and Sonnets, with a guy called Jimmy. And um, our music tastes were together and then they split apart and then the label became like, you know, just this mismatch of stuff. And then, then my second one was kind of my project, No Ideas Original, which started to do all right. And then I used to run that with an old manager and then we split up. So that kind of came to an end. So now this new project is really just to have something that's like all my own focus um, in terms of everything that goes on the label. I've, I've, I've picked, I've creatively like, had a hand in either choosing the record or you know a and Ring and helping finish the record i don't want to just be a label that just signs something i want to be a label that can take an artist track if they send me something and i hear something in it for me to then a and R it and work with them on the record to actually kind of get it to a bigger place than it already is if you know what i mean so a bit mm. more of a like a traditional way of working rather than just signing some records and then it's kind of just to build a place for me to feel comfortable and release the records that I want to release that maybe don't fit elsewhere as well for me personally. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's good to have the output where you don't like you don't have to fit in with a style. 
Yeah, that's cool. I'm always more of a fan of those like more diverse type type labels. Um, yeah, I think it's good to have a sound like a bit like what we were talking about earlier. Labels can suffer from the same thing now. Like they release too much stuff. But I think like a bit like what you guys are doing, right? It's good to have. It's just good to create that kind of like group of people that are, are that label. Do you know what I mean? And like mm, you keep yeah. coming back, and you like have that kind of like everyone has those links to the label and they keep wanting to come and release on it rather than yeah. feeling like they have to or wanting to move away so that's the kind of ethos behind it and um we've got you know we're putting some money into it to kind of push it and promote it and stuff so it should be hopefully it should be good but like right now it's kind of on the back burner for the next month or two until we get this other like the next releases sorted or whatever. Yeah. So me, me and Ascani will have to draft up some music and, and send it your way. And you said I think when you're talking you said it's you want vocals, like pretty heavy vocals in, in most of the tracks, right? Like I, I did, I did, but this kind of changes for me every day. So like I, yeah, I, I was yeah. I was very much into like the full vocal thing. And I do still I mean I, uh, me personally, like I I feel bonded more with full vocal records than I do all instrumental. It's just personally how I am, how I am. But um, yeah, I'm just open. I, I just I want I want to sign to sign music that can kind of be far reaching and be timeless. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And like I think yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Right. Yeah. There's too many records that are just not. They're just very forgettable. They're, they've already been. I mean, that's the problem with most house music right now, right? Like, yeah. you, know, so you go through. Especially, the... especially, I just always shit on the only genre I make is minimal deep tech. It's like all the same shit. It's all. The problem with that is. Yeah. The problem with that, a lot of that stuff is for me. And it's not that I dislike it. But the problem is, and I was speaking to someone about this earlier, right? It's all just a bit too fucking polite, right? You have all this, like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Like, oh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> it, it, it's got these, like, and I have no problem with obviously clean sounding records, but I feel like it has no real like grit or girth to it, and it doesn't have like the raw elements. Everything's been smoothed off and sounds perfect. It, it's not it's dusty, elevator man. music. Everything just sounds too perfect. Everything just sounds like, like you know, you know exactly what's going to happen. Like when it's going to happen, like there's going to be a pad that ruins the groove through the whole fucking thing, and like. You know, it's just, it's just, and then it's going to have those like blippy, like, you know, old house stabs with a bit of like space delay on it. Like, it, and it's just, for me, like, they're obviously, I'm generalizing, there are some great records, obviously, but yeah, mm. for me, that's my issue with it, really. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I mean, obviously, the sample market packs are great, but like, they're just pumping out these packs by these artists and everyone is using it and like a tip i i personally don't think that this style of music is like that hard to like put a, make an arranged full song out of and i think that's partially to to blame not that i mean samples are great but you know use them probably. on that though i think everyone should go to sample market within the next like month or something there's a new and pack that, coming out that you know you. is great yeah that's awesome, <laughs> that's awesome. No. can you tell us a bit about the process of working on a sample pack actually well, so for me, because I'm really productive, my process, I don't know, it starts. So I did one for Splice a couple of years ago, and then, like I say, yeah, I just I did one for Splice and Sample Market. And, like, I obviously have loads of dead pro projects that, like, I'm not going to work on anymore because, you know, the idea is not quite there, but there's some, like, nice flourishes or beats or whatever. So what I do, generally do is I'll go through all my projects, well, not all of them, but, like, a bunch of old projects that I've not done anything with, like, rip out the good bits, all the drums, kicks, like, mm. if there's any nice synth parts, 
I'll rip those out. And then after that, I'll probably then spend like a week or so actually coming up with stuff that's like, you know, fresh and new and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a mixture of like old projects and a tiny bit of new stuff. But it's like yeah. when you make this stuff every day, obviously you've got loads of stuff which is good, but you just don't want to use. So right. so that's that's how I kind of approach it, really. And then also, like, you know, especially with the sample market one, it, it's the sound of Huxley, right? Mm-hmm. It's the name of the pack. So what's more of the sound of me than, you know, a track I was working on, like, a year that's ago cool. or whatever. Yeah, it's cool. That's really cool. They do a great job. I, I have almost all the packs. Um, yeah, my, my point was basically just... No, I know what you mean, though. It's I the same like, with Splice. Like a lot. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the producers are just like, they'll get the pack and they'll only use that pack to make the song. So therefore you sound like somebody else. But the thing is, you're not that person. You're never, you're not as good as that person at that sound. So it's never going to be as, as great. And so. also, I think too many people are worried about sounding like someone else. Like, yeah, if you think about your favorite act, they, they might fit in to, to a style, but they all like you listen to one of their songs and you know, it's one of their songs. So yeah. like, I think what you said is right. If someone just uses that sample pack to make that one track, they, you, it's inevitable that you're going to end up sounding like the person who made that yeah. pack. You need to kind of be a bit more free and easy and work. Like sample packs are great. Just keep flitting between different ones. If you're use- yeah. And I guess my question to you is, was there a point in your career? Cause I think everyone goes to this where like you, I guess we're copying other artists at one point. And then you're like, all right, it's time for me to like do my own thing. Cause I, for, for me, it's, it's only honestly been like very in the past couple of months where I kind of was like, all right, I don't need to, be anybody else i'll be myself was there a point in your career where you were doing that and you kind of stopped doing that well so like when i first uh, when i to be honest right i had that moment actually after i'd already kind of broken through so like mm-hmm. well i know i said i wanted loads of freedom after 2015 but then when it got to about 2017 2018 and i maybe wasn't doing as well as i what had been doing in previous years i start like when this happens with a lot of people I've spoken to, you start to get worried about like, you're not getting bookings and the same bookings or the same fee or whatever. So you then think, well, this style's big right now. So I now need to fit, I should now like tailor my sound to fit in with this sound when actually that shit never fucking works. Like no one no. needs another one of those. And like, you should never really try. I mean, you should never really do something just, just to like make your, I think, yeah, that really ha- badly happened for me then. And I listen back to those releases now. I was actually doing it a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And like, obviously, there's some good moments there, but like, there's also most of it's really truly unforgettable. Not, like, mm. Because I didn't just do what I wanted to do. I didn't let myself have creative freedom. I st- stuck to the tropes of the time that were big, and that was it, really. And I think it really hurt my music for a while, actually. Yeah. And uh, so that's I would say, actually, when I bro- before I broke through, I'd choose to make music like I wanted to be me. I think that's one of the reasons is because I wasn't maybe in a big city or something. So I was never being told that that was the wrong way to do it. So I just did it. And then I was actually only being told that it's the wrong way to do it after I'd already kind of started touring extensively or whatever. That's really interesting. So my, yeah, I mean, you know, nowadays I feel like, I feel like the scene is changing more quickly than it used to. Yeah, definitely. That's correct. And so, so it's, it, when, when I started producing heavily, which is about four years ago, things were already moving so quickly that you had to adapt to even like, not even stay relevant to just make music that sounded modern, right? And so my, I feel like my generation of producers are used to change, to like extremely rapid change. And so I, when I make music, 
I kind of just listen to what's hot at the moment and I get inspired by that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and I and I love it all because I, I'm I'm so used to things just constantly changing and pushing, which I think is cool. But you know, I I, I don't even really know what my sound is after like four or five years of like constantly producing. I just have like six of them. I have like six side projects. It's so crazy, man. I, I think the thing is though, sometimes it's not about the genre, right? That's your sound. I think that sometimes it's not about the style, like you can make a techno a techno or a house record. Mm. I think the thing that actually gives you your sound is certain things that you will always put into that record that people will come back to you. I think it's not really about like what, like, because change has always happened and you'd like you say you have to adapt and you have to move and you have to kind of like change like adapt or die is the phrase right so yeah. like you have to but i think there's also there's way of changing and maintaining being yourself and being true to you as a producer yeah. and but still keeping with the times and then there's adapting and just sounding completely different for every record and like you never really get your own identity if you know what i mean I yeah you you have that signature sound though you you figured it out you know, you've got you've got the the Huxley factor in in, in all of those tracks. I think that's really cool. I guess that comes with time. Yeah, I was gonna say that's just something that naturally can't. I don't plan to do anything no, different. Of course. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think like I've been sat in my my bedroom fucking on my own <laughs> for about since I was like twelve or thirteen years old. Like I'm 30, 35, 36 this year, so it's a long time to have been writing writing music. Like not obviously a lot of it was shite, but like you know. It, it just comes over time, I think, like, like you say. And also, you're, I think what, another thing you said, which is interesting, is like I think that your, your generation, that is true. Like Things do move so much quicker now. Like Even when I broke through in 2010, 2011, it was a lot slower process for people to get big. And then they were kind of big, do you know what I mean? But whereas these days, I feel really sorry for people who had big hits last year who are now going to be forgotten by the time that oh, bookings yeah. open up because the yeah. scene just moves so quickly now that they're just not relevant anymore. Whereas if that had happened in 2011, you know, you'd have probably still been on those lineups coming up. But like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a shame. Like, I mean, there's some obviously that are, are, are going to get past that. Like John Summit obviously is going to be massive. Huge, yeah. yeah. So like, but I do feel sorry for those people that kind of got a bit of heat and then maybe it, it's, it's died off a bit. It's so hard to get that heat back once it's gone. So hard. You have to consistently release like top level music. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even then sometimes it's not enough. No, even at that, you just got to hit the right spot. It's, 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 there's a bunch of different factors. Like, I was actually talking to John Summit's management um, the other day. And they were just like, yeah, it was like the perfect storm. Like, you know, a lot of luck was involved. You know, he released the right record at the right time and his follow-ups like also just hit the right nerve. You know, it could have it could have not worked. He could have released music that just didn't have that same appeal. And then Yeah, I mean I think the thing is and I think the thing is actually and it's really important and it's something that people maybe don't uh, have forgot like it, like releasing quality music is great, right? But then what what actually then helps build you past that moment of being someone that a, a, a DJ loves to play is the shows because you go and start playing and being booked mm -hmm. on shows with these bigger acts because you're hot within the music industry and then the people that are listening the fans that don't care about people are then listening to you through those shows and then also who you, you're kind of associated with the bigger you get the bigger acts you're associated with so then you seem bigger so it's that whole thing of like the snowball yeah it's a snowball and like yeah. I think John Summit's management 
I think that story, although obviously everyone has their own story, I think that's pretty much true for everyone who's got big. They've released the right thing at the right time. They've been lucky. They've been supported by the right people. You know, you make your own luck and you work. If you keep working hard, you're probably going to break through. But I think everyone has that moment where everything just slumps into place. Luck, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. There you go. That's Scott, your the favorite phrases. quote on this podcast. Oh, nice! I like <laughs> it. Every episode, every, every episode. episode. I like it. Uh, but it's so it's so true though. Like I think that you know you do make your own luck. If you're not going to work hard, it's very unlikely that's going to happen. Yeah, but I agree. But um, yeah, it's so you you not like you. It, I get asked all the time how it happened for me and how I can how like they people want to follow my steps. And quite honestly, I, I fuck knows. How it happened for me. It just did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're coming up on an hour here, guys. Um, so I guess we'll sort of wrap it up here. Uh, we usually do speed dating, but I don't even know if we have yeah, time for that, it. do we? Yeah, no, fuck it. Nah, it's all right. We usually like ask a bunch of questions, like just like quick fire around them. We, we okay. Kind of, kind of. That was mate, That was that was an awesome conversation. Like, I learned. Yeah. Great. Thank insight. you, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Big up, guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers.